Arms are the only true badge of liberty. The possession of arms is the distinction between a free man and a slave. Folks, this is the Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Nieves, and as you can tell, today we're talking about the purpose and importance of the American Second Amendment. Now, that quote I just read a second ago, that comes from Andrew Fletcher, but there are an abundance, an absolute abundance of quotes very, very similar to that, especially when you go back and you study the American Revolution and the quotes of our founding fathers, you see that the reason, the purpose we have the Second Amendment is to protect us, the people, from any enemy, whether that enemy is foreign or domestic. See, today, we're not wasting any time. We're diving right in. We're cutting to the chase. The purpose of the Second Amendment is to protect us, the people, from our own government or any other foreign government. You know, our founding fathers had literally just fought off a revolutionary war. The reason they put the Second Amendment in there was so that we could do it again, God forbid we ever had to. You know, the Declaration of Independence... The Declaration of Independence, for goodness sakes, it says that it is the right of the people to alter or abolish a government that becomes destructive to their rights, to their freedoms. The Second Amendment is there not for hunting or sports shooting or white-tailed deer or having a cool collection or anything like that. The, the reason we have the Second Amendment is so that it can form the final check and balance. That's what I call it all the time. If you listen to me on a lot of my stuff, you'll know that I commonly refer to the Second Amendment as the final check and balance that exists between a free people and their country. That's why I love that quote so much, the one I brought us in with, because it's so entirely true. If you don't have firearms, if you don't have a way to fight back, it's not just about guns. It's not about pew-pews. It's about having a way to fight back, some sort of a, a thing they can put you on an even playing field with your government. If you don't have a way to fight back, then you are not free. You're only as free as your government is temporarily allowing you to be. There are Western countries out there that claim to be free. Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, so on and so forth. Yet they're not free. We saw for two years during the COVID-19 hullabaloo, we saw just how not free those countries really were. We saw the lockdowns and the edicts and the mandates and this, that, and the other thing. Heck, we saw some of that here. But here it wasn't quite as bad as it was there. Because here we have a final check and balance that exists between us and our government. You know, remember back to the old Schoolhouse Rock song where it talks about the different powers and the different checks and balances and those kind of things that exist between different branches of government even different levels of government between the state and the Fed. The final one, though, the very last straw, is the armed population because they can stand, stand up and push back against a government that's overreaching, against a government that's getting too big, too strong, too forceful. I always love to give this explanation. I love to give this example, especially to people who may be on the left and they don't really understand, they don't really grasp the idea of why that's so important. I always say, imagine that Donald Trump, because, you know, they believe that Donald Trump was a, an evil dictator. Many of them said he was the reincarnation of Adolf Hitler. So imagine with me that Donald Trump on his, I don't know, last month in office would have said, okay, frankly, it's been huge, huge, but Congress, go home. 
the Supreme Court, go home. The military, you have to make them all go home. This is a dictatorship now. Frankly, okay, huge. If Donald Trump would have done that, and assuming that the military went along, which yes, that is a big assumption, but go with me here. Assuming the military went along, and the government had essentially decided to throw away the Constitution. It doesn't have to be Trump. It could be anybody, but the left, they don't like Trump, so I use Trump. He would never do this, but they think he would. Imagine that he did that. What would happen? What would be the, the consequence of that? What would the American people be able to do if they were unarmed? If the American people were unarmed, then frankly, they would just have to sit there and do nothing. They might be able to protest in the streets, but that doesn't always work well, especially when you're protesting a legitimate dictator. Just ask the folks at Tiananmen Square when they tried to, to protest against the, the communist Chinese. They were ran over with tanks. But in the United States, if that was to happen, if a dictator was to come forward and stick their neck out and say that they were going to rip up the Constitution or disband the Supreme Court or something like that, you know what would happen? An awful lot more than protests. That's what would happen. Because the Second Amendment is the final check and balance. If the government became destructive to that end, then it would be the right of the people to take their arms and abolish said government. A bunch of those redneck, gun-toting, God-fearing hillbillies that you people on the left hate so very much, we would go on a real quick trip to Washington, D.C., and they would sort that out real fast. See, that's the reason we have the Second Amendment. And because of that, people like myself are so thoroughly worried, we're so concerned when we see the government start to try and take our guns because we know that the government is capable of unbelievable levels of evil. Even the United States government. Look up the massacre at Wounded Knee if you don't believe me. The United States government has done a lot of really bad stuff. Operation Mockingbird, Operation Northwoods, look into some of these. Waco, Texas, Ruby Ridge. Do a little research on what the United States government has done, and that's, that's just the examples that we know of. There's an abundance of examples that we probably will never know of that will only be conspiracy until the documents are released. But what we do know for sure is that any government, our own government included, is capable of nearly unbelievable levels of evil. In fact, you can look up the term called democide. It's defined as the government killing of unarmed civil or unarmed civilians, its own population. Democide has taken the lives of tens if not hundreds of millions of people just in the last couple hundred years. It doesn't take that big of a time leap. You don't have to go back in time very far. Only about 80 to 90 years. Go to the 1930s, the 1940s. Let me ask you what governments were doing to their own people during that period of time. Governments that were democratically elected by the people that would turn on their own citizens that fast, that quickly, that fiercely to do that level of evil to their own citizens. Now listen, I hope and pray that we're past that, but I know human nature never changes. It never changes. It never does. It never has. It never will. We don't evolve like that. We're not going to see humans achieve some perfect state of nirvana where we're just above violence and evil and corruption. There will always be corrupt people who are willing to do and seek to do horrible, unthinkable things to anyone else that they possibly can. The reason we have the Second Amendment is to protect us from those governments. You know, you go back in time and you study 
the late 1930s in Germany. Adolf Hitler took the guns. He took the guns from the Jews, the same group of people that he would later force into death camps and attempt to exterminate. You look all throughout human history. Chavez took the guns. Mao took the guns. Stalin took the guns. Pol Pot took the guns. All of these different horrible, evil dictators all throughout history, even in recent modern history, they took the guns first before they went and did anything else. Before they went and subjugated people and loaded them up on the boxcars, they always started by taking the guns. And to those like Joe Biden who have said, if you want to take on the American government, you need F-15 fighter jets and tanks because we have F-15 fighter jets and tanks and, and nuclear bombs. Well, for one, I sort of agree and I sort of disagree. I would love the American people to have F-15 fighter jets and tanks. Assuming they have the ability to get them, I would imagine they'd be fairly expensive. But yeah, you know, if you go back in time and you look at the, the, the letters of Marquis and Repraisal, the founding fathers were more than okay with private citizens owning battleships naval battleships that their own that was not government affiliated their own private battleships the founders were okay with that because the founders weren't trying to subjugate people they were trying to free them but you know what else i would say is if my government is already thinking on those terms and thinking you know what if the american people ever revolt against me i'll use f15 fighter jets against them if that's the case then case in point my government is already thinking about using F-15s against me. Of course, I need my rifle. I need far more than my rifle. I need my own F-15 fighter jet. I need some sort of an anti-aircraft missile or something. If my government is really willing to go to those ends to kill me, then you've made my case for me. My government is already thinking along those lines. They're, they're already thinking on those terms. That they're willing to use the military might, the F-15s, the tanks, the, the jets and bombers. They're willing to use those against us, the American people. They're already thinking on those terms. See how quickly government is willing to go to that length? You know, the other thing on top of that, if you think it's a futile effort, if you think the American people devoid of F-15 fighter jets and, and tanks would stand no chance against the American government, then frankly, you're, you're incorrect. You're wrong. We could dive into the number of retired military veterans who would not stand for that. We could dive into the number of active duty military folks that wouldn't go along with that. But there would be some that would. So let's just assume, let's be generous, let's just assume that, that the military sides with the government, as unlikely as that may be. I would say the Vietnamese fared fairly well. The Afghans, they fared fairly well against an infinitely superior foe. And you know what they both had? The home field advantage. It's nearly impossible, literally nearly impossible, for a government to fend off a true revolution of its own people in their own backyard. It's nearly impossible. Guerrilla warfare has been proven to be incredibly effective against the United States government. Now imagine guerrilla warfare in your own backyard. Listen, I would never advocate for this. I don't want this to happen. I don't. But I know that for a people to remain free... They always have to have that check and balance. There always has to be something, a line that the government cannot cross. And if the government does cross that line, a consequence for it. See, the Constitution without guns to back it up is nothing more than words on a piece of paper. Why would any government ever honor the Constitution? I mean that sincerely. 
If you're a government dictator or something like that, and you're you're bound by the by the limitations placed on you within the Constitution, but if you cross those limitations, if you cross that line, literally nothing happens to you, then that line doesn't actually exist. It's like the parent that's in a Walmart that's telling their kid, I'm going to count to three, and if you don't put that down, one, two, three, and then they do nothing. Well, the toddler's going to sit there and be like, yeah, punk, obviously there's no consequence for this, so I'm going to do it again. The same thing would apply to the government. If they know that there is no consequence, that they're not going to get a spanking for refusing to do what the people tell them to do, why should they care? Why would they be bound by a constitution? Why, why, why would they be bothered to worry about something like that? Of course, the answer is they would never care. They would never be bound to worry about something like that. They, they, they've shown this time and time and time again. All of these countries where they don't have the Second Amendment, their rights aren't really rights. They're temporary privileges because the government can revoke them at any point in time that they so choose and the people can do nothing about it. There's no consequence. There's no side effects. There's no repercussions. There is no check and balance. The purpose, ladies and gentlemen, of the Second Amendment is exactly that, to be the final check and balance, to be the thing that guarantees that the Constitution is more than just words on paper. It's actually a document that bounds the American government and protects the people from the government. Obviously, I haven't even really touched on the fact that it protects us from foreign invasions. You look back to World War II where Japanese generals famously said that they would never consider invading the United States. A land invasion would be asinine because even if you get past the military, there's a gun behind every blade of grass. That's absolutely true. The American American armed population is the largest standing army on the planet. Even if you just dwindle it down to registered and licensed hunters, it's the largest standing army on the planet. There's no country out there that could take us on Head on. There's no country that could invade the United States, and in part that is, yes, due to our military, but even without the American military. Even if the American military was Thanos snapped out of existence somehow, they no longer existed, not a single one of them, you'd have one heck of a time making your way through Appalachia. You'd have one heck of a time making your way through Louisiana, the boot heel of Missouri. You'd have a hard time in Dakota. You'd have a hard time in northern Idaho. You'd run into an awful lot of people who know the woods, they know their territory, they know their area, and they're well-armed and they're well-versed in those firearms. That's why our Constitution, that's why our founding fathers, they wanted us to be what they call well-regulated. Well, well-regulated back in 1791, which is the year that the Second Amendment was ratified, well-regulated didn't mean what we understand it to mean today in the sense that it's governmental regulation. Well-regulated was more along the lines of well-armed and well-disciplined and well-trained. I mean, I mean, think back, the regulars were the actual military of the Revolutionary War. The, the regulars. Then you had the militia. The regulars are the ones that were the well-trained, the well-disciplined. It's the same basic root word. When, when the Constitution in the Second Amendment says that we're to be well-regulated, it means well-armed, well-trained, well-disciplined. In fact, many of the Founding Fathers were vehemently against a standing army. They thought that a standing army was kind of the the root of evil in many countries, that the standing army was what would be used by the crown, by the Joe Bidens, the F-15s of the standing army, are what would be used against the American people. That's an interesting red pill, a decent study. Maybe we'll go into that someday on a deep dive. But many of the founding fathers, they were very against a standing army. 
The standing army that they wanted was the people. They wanted the militia, being you and I, being every single able-bodied American citizen. They wanted us to be well-armed and well-trained so we could repel foreign invasion. So that if necessary, Congress could call upon the militia, as we see they have the power to do so in Article 1, Section 8, the powers of Congress, they have the power to call forward the militia. The militia is you and I. Now, that's changed over the years. The militia has become a formal militia that is essentially the United States National Guard. Then you have active duty military. Then you have the informal militia, your state militias, your, your local militias, and things like that. But many of the founders, they didn't even want a military. They didn't want a standing army. They wanted the standing army to be us, to be you and I. It's a fantastic defense against foreign tyranny, and it's an incredible an unbelievably effective defense against domestic tyranny as well. So that's the purpose of the Second Amendment. Short, sweet, and simple. That's the reason I don't want anyone infringing upon it. You may think it's crazy, but if you believe that that's crazy, you need to revisit history. You need to go back about 80 years and study all of the human rights atrocities, the disgusting, evil things that governments have done to their own people in the last 80 years to believe that what I'm saying is is radical is so naive it's so historically ignorant that it's it blows my mind you got to study history to understand these things if you don't study history you're going to repeat it and repeating history is like failing an open notes test you're just making the same mistakes over and over and over again we know what happens when there's a tyrannical government and an unarmed population and it's not anything good And if you don't think that that could happen, I'm sorry, my friend. I don't mean this to be pedantic or insulting. You are naive. Anyways, folks, that's the purpose of the Second Amendment. That's why we have our God-given right to protect ourselves and our constitutional right to do so with firearms. Anyways, guys, until next time, keep me in your prayers. Keep your country in your prayers. God bless.